Hello and happy new year. 2023 is here and we could not be more stoked. We have a lot of exciting things coming up, a lot of new podcasts, a lot of new guests, and I'm really excited to share that with you. But also I've been dreaming about following along, making videos, making more content, not only for Instagram, but hopefully for YouTube. And hopefully it will be a little bit of a fresh take. We'll, we'll get to that in a little bit, but I'm really excited. Anyways, I just wanted to say thank you. I wanted to say thank you for all of your support. Thank you for all the conversations that I have in the background as I'm forming conversations, forming adventures, forming this thing that we call sagebrush wisdom. I've made a lot of really good friends over this last year and I could not be more thankful. It's truly been a gift and I feel very honored to be the one doing this. So I'm not doing it alone. It's very much together a community to me and I hope you feel the same. Anyways, I'm really excited about today's podcast and I hope you really enjoy it. It's really exciting and a great one to start this new year. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of Sagebrush Wisdom. Today, I have another new friend, Tony, um, who works on the Grande out of San Diego and also does uh, the weekly roundup videos for BD Outdoors. If you follow along, um, she gives a lot of tips and tricks and uh, gear, kind of knowledge on how to be fishing in Southern California well. And so I'm really excited to have her on the podcast and I'm excited for you guys to hear more about her story. So Tony, welcome to Sagebrush Wisdom. Hello. Thank you for having me. Super excited to chat with you a little bit. Awesome. Well, Tony, can you give me a brief introduction into who you are and uh, how you got started in fishing uh, and fishing in the ocean? Yeah, um, can be a long winded story. Like my journey here kind of took different different avenues of getting here. Right. So like I didn't mm-hmm. always plan on, you know, this is what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do sport fishing. For me, it was always the ocean. I was always drawn to the ocean. And since I was five years old, I knew whatever I was going to do, whereas at the time I thought I was going to work with marine mammals, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I knew it was going to end up doing something on the water or with fish or marine mammals or something to that capacity. And kind of throughout um, school, throughout college, I majored in marine biology at Cal State Long Beach. I just was always on this path of I'm going to bring it, I'm going to be a marine biologist Mm. and I'm going to work with animals or I'm going to work with fish or do studies on fish. And that, that was where I saw myself being. And, um, for me, my dad growing up, he had a business in Alaska since I was maybe six or seven years old. Mm. And every summer, that's what we did. We'd go up to Alaska, we'd work with dad. And my dad was a big, fly fisherman was always on the rivers and streams. And um, for us and my brothers and my mom and I, like that was normal, or at least for Mm -hmm. me, that was normal Mm -hmm. for us to do. Every summer was go up to Alaska, 
And um, that's kind of where this fascination with fishing kind of started, um, looking back at it now. But after high school, took a little bit of time, went up to Alaska, spent almost a year with him, worked at rehabilitation centers for marine mammals and birds, and they had fish there too. But um, it wasn't until then that we had family friends of ours that owned this beautiful lodge right on the water in Seward, Alaska, and um, eventually ended up a couple years later working for them at the lodge. And so they would take people out. It was a sport fishing outfit up there. So they would take people out, go fishing for halibut, rockfish, salmon, things like that. Lingcod, you know, the giant lingcod you yeah. see. And um, I started working for them in the lodge. And I remember seeing the fish, you know, when they would pull up all the fish and people would be taking pictures. I just th thought to myself, like, man, that is so cool. Like, you get to be... <laughs> out on the water every day like you're with all these fish and um it came to a point where I asked them you know I really want to deckhand I want to work mm -hmm. on the boat and you know I get the eye rolls but they were supportive of me and they're like okay well come out and and try it and for me my thought process was yeah this is so sick I'm on the water every day yeah like, I get to be with fish and it's a sport environment, like sign me up. But I also saw um, all the deckhands that were up there, it's seasonal, right? Mm -hmm. So we would go through a lot of deckhands in the season. And in my mind, I kept looking at all these deckhands that just couldn't make it, or they were working these long hours, and they just would leave in the middle of the night. And I remember looking at them and thinking, well, I can do that. Like, I'm not going to leave in the middle of the night. I can do it. Why not? Mm -hmm. You know, so I started working on um, boats up there for a few seasons before I came down here um, to San Diego to start working on boats. And I just I fell in love with it. That first boat ride out. I'll never forget. That is I knew. so cool. Like, this is this is awesome. <laughs> Some of my very first memories, like I didn't grow up fishing that much, but my dad would take us out of San Francisco and go salmon fishing. And so from like an eight-year-old, nine-year-old, 10-year-old, like I remember I thought we were on roller coasters. Like I remember <laughs> like going out of Monterey, I think when we were 10 and it was like in the middle of winter. And for some reason, my aunt and uncle, uh, more or less like bought all of our family tickets to go rock fishing, but it was like 12 foot seas and all this stuff. And I have a twin brother and we were just like on the boat, like, this is awesome. <laughs> While everybody else is getting seasick. And so like we, we fish like bass fishing and like all that stuff growing up, but the ocean really, I grew up closer to Sacramento, but the ocean was like always calling our name. And so I feel like there, I, I get that a lot. Even I feel like this is, this is what happens on, on the days that we go out fishing is we're like, we only have like a small 18 foot boat and we're like ripping out to Catalina or somewhere out there. And on the way out, you're like, I could do this every day. And then the wind picks up <laughs> and you start heading home at the end of the day. And you're like, I think I need a week off. Like that was hard. <laughs> but 
Uh, so going back a little bit to your childhood, you grew up in Huntington Beach. Uh, is that correct? Is that what you said earlier? Um, like Orange County. Um, I mean, I was born here in San Diego, but all my schooling for the most part, like elementary school, middle school, high school, that was all in Anaheim. Mm-hmm. And then I lived in Huntington Beach for, for a little bit. Um, just like that transition period when I finished college, still working in Alaska, coming mm-hmm. back down here. So it was kind of kind of during that period. But for the most part, it was in Orange County, Anaheim. That's awesome. Did you ever go on sport boats growing up as a kid down here? Or was that all Alaska? For me, it was all Alaska. Okay. I mean, my my naivety, I didn't I didn't know about fishing down here. I didn't uh-huh. realize how how big it truly is yeah down here in in socal but because for me fishing was alaska like that's mm-hmm. where you go to get all you know your barn door halibut and your lingcod and your salmon and that to me growing up that was the norm yeah so i didn't realize that there could be different sport fishing locations equally as important <laughs> just yep. in different regions you know Yep. So I'm going to ask one question, but then we're going to circle back to something a little bit more broad. But did you know, like when you moved down here, had the tuna shown up at that point yet? Or was that somewhat later in your journey of fishing out of San Diego that you're like, oh, these bluefin tuna just are creating a big, big scene down here? So the bluefin was something I did know about, um, but it was mostly because I am a nerd. And so I follow all these different societies, you know, through Mm -hmm. Facebook that follow different movements and migrations of, you know, marine mammals and birds and fish. So during that time, I think it would have been 2015, 2016, something Mm -hmm. like that is when people noticeably started to see them show up. Um, I was, you know, still doing seasonal up in Alaska and, and doing school down here. Um, but I knew about it. I didn't know, um, you know, fishing wise, what was happening, yeah. but I had known about it just through my schooling. Cause it would be brought up in yeah. my classes and through what I've seen, um, online at the time. I think what is so interesting about the bluefin tuna showing up is it's made sport fishing cool down here. Like it, it's made like a kind of hunter vibe of I'm really going after this. I'm really pursuing this. And like the people who get big tuna, there's kind of this like gloating around town. Like, oh yeah, I caught a 225 pound tuna yesterday. And I don't know if fishing, I didn't grow up here, but I don't think fishing ever had that kind of allure even though catching yellow yellowtail and white sea bass and all that stuff is really cool it was like really secretive it was like i'm not telling you my spots i'm not telling you like where to go but now with bluefin it's like everybody's boasting about it you know it's uh, a whole scene that i think if i was a kid it would be a lot harder to miss that but growing up you know 20 years ago, you'd probably be like, I don't know, 
there's people with boats out there, but I don't, I don't know what they do. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think allure is the perfect word choice for that. I mean, now I think, I think fishing has always been cool, mm-hmm. but you'd have to hit, you know, different sectors, different groups of people thought fishing mm-hmm. was cool. You know, if you yeah. grew up doing it, you always thought it was cool. But, um, I think the bluefin craze, it is a craze. Like, yeah. and I mean, these, you're talking about a fish that is so strong and so powerful and so fast and can break your spirit, can break your gear. Mm-hmm. And people still want to go after it because of all those things. You know, it's yeah. almost like the temptation of something too good to be true. Uh But then you have the calibration of your gear and your line choice and your positioning on the boat. So it became, I think it became a very tactical, Mm -hmm. um, tactical approach to fishing because it's not just you're fishing for white sea bass, you're fishing for yellowtail. This is an entirely new beast that needs its own grade of gear, its own caliber of line. Mm -hmm. You need higher grade gear. So I think, yeah people were drawn to that for that reason. I got drawn to that. (laughs) There's like a basic nerd level of gear that I, I don't think you maybe could have like a one rod to rule them all with your yellowtail, white sea bass, all that stuff and have like a basic understanding of like, yeah, if I catch a fish, I'm going to get it in the boat, you know, but now it's like you could catch a 250 pound, bluefin tuna with what was your all-around rod and be like it spooled me i lost it i i don't get to boast about it and all (laughs) of a sudden it's like the one guy that brought that setup or like a knife jig or this or that was all of a sudden the person that was like getting the fish on the boat and so it became like I've spent so much money on tackle for tuna stuff. And it's like knowing like when to use it at the right time, but you kind of always have to have it on the boat. It was ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. And and that's something I, we get asked a lot too is, you know, is there one setup that I should bring? Like, you know, people that are going out on all day trips to, uh, you know, multi-day trips are like, well, is there one or two setups? And the answer is no, mm-hmm. there, there really isn't. Yeah. And that's kind of the beauty of fishing in that this sport is constantly evolving. And so with something that's evolving, you notice that things are working a lot better than others. Mm-hmm. And I think it starts with your rod choice. It goes to your reel choice, your line choice goes down to your knot tying capabilities you know there's all these little things that people have used and have grown their knowledge on to improve on on their overall gear and and their presentation of their jig or their bait or whatever so that's kind of the glory of something like that and with with bluefin fishing especially because you never know what Mm. grade you're going to run into what mood they're gonna be in we've had days where there's bluefin foaming 360 all around the boat you got 50 pounders on one side you got 20 pounders back behind the boat you got 200 pounders flying out of the water and no and they don't want to bite 
mm-hmm. at all. Mm-hmm. So it's it, it's a test of patience. <laughs> yep. For yep. sure, but <laughs> but you you never know what what you're going to get into and and because of that I think it's important to have multiple setups with you yep. on hand. Yeah. I th- I think that's what brings us back though. You know, that's that's what keeps us going in the game is that total heartbreak like total you lost the game and you tried the whole day (laughs) it's like the fish are right (laughs) there like you could touch them if you could like get close enough like or you could like reach your hand out of the boat like at least on a private boat but on a sport boat just high five them just just high, high five them but you cannot get them to bite anything at all and uh i mean I can see why it's addicting and and yet at the same time um I don't think that that's what all of fishing should be in Southern California either. So I'm going to wind back and ask you what your favorite fish is to catch here in Southern California or not even Southern California. It could be anywhere. Your favorite fish to catch well, there there's a big difference in species of fish here in Southern California and species of fish that you find up in Alaska, yeah. right? So for me, the my favorite fish to eat, um, if you were to say like what fish would I eat every day, I would say Alaskan halibut, one hundred percent. That that sixty to that forty to to eighty pound range of halibut up there absolutely delicious but down yeah. here um i wouldn't mind pokey you know a couple days a week when it's prepared right with bluefin it's it's delicious mm-hmm. um but to catch my my answer seems to change every season because i get more time spent on the water i get more time spent calibrating what real choice I'm going to use, what rod choice I'm going to use. So I think when I first started um, a couple seasons ago, I was like all aboard the bluefin Mm -hmm. game and was like, I want to catch a bluefin because it's difficult and I want everything to be right and perfect. And now after being fortunate enough to catch bluefin over a hundred 199 pounds Mm -hmm. um for me i i feel like i was fortunate enough to cross that bridge and now i want to fine tune you know other species to catch Mm -hmm. so with um with this year being such a big dorado year this past season being big on dorado and we had this wave of um yellowfin that would trickle in there's nothing like an open wide open bite of yellowfin mm-hmm. and dorado if you're lucky enough to get skipjack um i mean especially on a boat like ours you know there's a lot of people on the boat we understand that but man your adrenaline gets going when you've got all these people and every single person is hooked up to a fish some yeah. people are bouncing them over we got gaffs bringing them up and over um i mean it, it there's nothing <laughs> that compares that that sort of joy that you get yeah. and some and I find myself just laughing sometimes mm-hmm. out of joy but 
just at how ridiculous, like if you were a fly on the wall who's never been fishing before and you wanted, you know, a glimpse of, of a day, and that's the day that you happen to be a fly on the wall, you think we were absolutely insane. Yep. Yep. <laughs> There's, there's like, so I thankfully did have a day like that where we went Dorado fishing and, uh, it was lights out fishing as fast as you could get them in the boat. You wouldn't even, you'd barely even put your next bait in. It would maybe be like three seconds. It was just instantly running and bit, you know, and I am so happy that at least once in my life, I had so many things go <laughs> right to catch that many fish but it's like you know i fly fish a lot and you know people will be like i caught 50 fish today and you're like that's awesome like i know i've caught a lot of fish in a day like at some point i probably would stop counting because i'm like i don't know but like to have that moment where like fish won't leave you alone like Dorado are big enough that it's not like a trout. Like if you catch that many trout, you'd probably be like, I'm just bored now because it's not, you're <laughs> not trying. But like with Dorado, with them jumping and running and like all this stuff, like there is, it's like heaven on earth when you're on a boat like that. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> the thrill of the chase. That's what it is. The exactly. Exactly. So, okay. So let's go into being a deckhand just a little bit. So you moved down from Alaska and then your, was it your first, first job back? You're like, I'm going to be a deckhand in San Diego. Uh, it, it was literally within three days that I had left Alaska. I was looking at, um, at different boat opportunities down here because um, at the time it was the first um, fall that I didn't have to go back to college or whatever. So for me, it was like, okay, I'm going to try and do something a little different now, or I guess not different, but go back home and do sport fishing down here. Like mm -hmm. why, why not? That, that has been my, <laughs> my MO because why not? Mm -hmm. Um, but the week that I was leaving Alaska, I was looking at all these different boats and I must have reached out to 40 or 50 different whale watching boats, mm. um, sport fishing, majority were sport fishing boats. Um, yeah. And I was just seeing, you know, from Long Beach all the way down to San Diego, um, where I can get some kind of opportunity. Mm -hmm. So... I reached out to all these people and um, came back down from Alaska, went to my best friend's uh, bridal bachelorette party in Mission, in Mission Bay. And then the next day is when I heard back from the Grande saying, um, the only way to see if we're a right fit for you, if this is a right fit for you, is just to come out and, and try it. Mm -hmm. And so they were one of two boats out of the 50 that I had messaged that reached out to me. So um messaged them back. I said, perfect. I'll be there the next day. Came on um, as a pinhead and was there for almost a week and offered me a part-time job, I think the following week and have been 
very fortunate enough for that opportunity. And I lucked out on that mm-hmm. boat. Everyone there is, is top notch and they're all great. That's awesome. Did you have any sort of catch up with the knots or, you know, knowing certain things about the fishing down here that you're like, I don't know how this is going to go. Or did you just go like head first? Like we're gonna we're going to get this done. Um, steep learning curve is the phrase I would describe mm-hmm. <laughs> my first day. Um, you know, some of the knots were the same, um, but the setups entirely were different. You know, the, the setups that we're using to drop two to 400 feet in Alaska, not the same as down here. Mm-hmm. Up there, it's all, it's all bottom, hard structure. Um, down here, it's, you're out in the open and you're trying to get fish on the surface to fish that mm-hmm. are a couple hundred feet deep. Um, <clears throat> but at the time, we had Dorado and Skipjack and Yellowfin like no other and for me i remember getting into a bite like that a couple years ago and the amount of fish that i saw being pulled on the deck i remember when we were filleting that day we had caught i think limits of everything Mm -hmm. that day (laughs) and you know for 30 to 40 people that that's anywhere from three to 400 fish. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember being at the fillet table and one of our captains saying, I bet you have never seen this many fish before at one time in your life. And I said, no, yeah. <laughs> I've never seen anything like this. This is absolute madness, but yeah. steep learning curve, trying, trying to catch up and trying to feel like I don't deserve to be here because nobody deserves to be anywhere. You earn it, right? Mm-hmm. You work hard. And, and that was my whole mentality was even though this is stuff that isn't necessarily known on the back of my hand, like I want to show that I can learn it and that I can execute something. And mm-hmm. I just, it, I had such a, a sense of wanting to prove to myself and to others that, Hey, I'm, I'm here to work. And if you need me to work extra days, cause somebody wants to take a day off this time of the season, mm-hmm. you can count on me to be here. Cause I will show up and I will not complain and I'll do my job and I'm going to do it mm-hmm. very well. So that, <laughs> that has been my mentality <laughs> every day. And if I mess up, that happens too. Yeah. So that's like the hard thing I think with, I would imagine being a deckhand is like, it is grunt work. You know, it's, it is not easy filleting any fish, but especially some of these big pelagic fish, like it is very hard to do and you have to do it fast. You know, there's all this stuff that's going on that when I think of deckhands and you'll probably, I've learned a lot over the last couple of years too, but when I think of like, fishermen in general who fish on the ocean it's like oh that's one salty dog you know and to have that mentality where you know you're striving to not just work but work well you know you're striving to give all these people on the boat something that's special it's 
easy to get jaded in that setting too, which I think is probably why a lot of people don't deckhand very, uh, why you're saying in Alaska, people would like show up and then they would be like, I'm done. I'm out. Like they just get jaded, you know? So mm-hmm. there, I guess what I'm about to ask is, do you ever feel jaded in the fishing community? Like after doing this now for a couple of years, is there ever a time where you're like, can I just go back to being a marine biologist and <laughs> <laughs> being a student again and not having to worry about smelling like fish for the next three days uh see the smell doesn't bother me um (laughs) i don't don't know if if jaded's the right word i think you know our mentality because we we sometimes work close to 200 plus days depending Mm -hmm. on the season out on the water and so for us you know our mentality at the start of the season which could be february march it could be april may um from the start of the season to towards the end of the season especially when it's the same people that work Mm -hmm. every day a lot of it is just going through the motion you kind of hit that zombie mode as a deck can Mm -hmm. you know you you just kind of go through the motions and you let things fly but there can there there ha- I, I won't lie and say there aren't points where it's like, is it worth it? Mm-hmm. This, it? This sucks, you know, and, and especially being around people, we hear the same comments every day. Yeah. Like I, I could give you the top 20 things that we hear every day and they're, they happen in the same order, same <laughs> kind of people, <Yep>. you know, <laughs> um, there, there is a certain point where it's like, I just want to go home and have a warm drink and go to bed for the next three months. <laughs> but, but I think for me, like at the end of the day, I just try to grind so hard through it so that I get to the end of the day and I start the next day. I'm like, okay, it's a brand new day today. Anything can happen. Mm-hmm. The mood could be different. And and that could be a thing too. Like if, if we have a, a couple days where the weather's bad and we're still out there and, and we aren't catching the amount of fish that we would like to catch, like, of mm-hmm. course, as a deckhand, you feel like it's your fault, mm-hmm. right? Like we're supposed to be good at this and there's no fish that are here or if they are here, they don't want to bite. So when you hear people's comments on the boat, you know, questioning why we aren't doing something or why there aren't fish here. You kind of take it personal mm-hmm. in in a certain respect because you're you're in charge of these people. This is how we make our yeah. living. If there isn't, if there aren't fish on the boat, I I'm not making any money. Mm-hmm. You know. Yep. Um. So there is a sense of responsibility in that, but at the same time, it's like, well, you're on the ocean. You're yeah. you're on the ocean's time. And not not everything is guaranteed, and you just have to take it in strides. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that I mean that is the beauty of fishing, and I don't want to be cliche, but in the basic level of like everybody has the same joke of like this is why they call it fishing and not catching, but it's like you can't <laughs> control a, a boat of people catching fish, and there's nothing more desolate 
I would say, than the ocean when nothing's biting. It's like, right. I we laugh at it, like, when we go out on the boat, and I, in a weird way, so it's my brother's boat, and he's more of the captain who decides, like, where we're going to fish, and I'm the deckhand of the boat, and so I'm helping people tie knots, and I'm more or less, like, encouraging people if the fishing's slow or something, but I've told this joke a couple of times where I'm like, if there's ever a person that like tells you like after a breakup, like, Oh, there's plenty of fish in the sea. Like they've clearly mm-hmm. never gone fishing. Cause there's sometimes <laughs> where you're sitting out there being like, there is nothing here and you can't catch anything. And you it spend happens. the, you spend the whole day. I, I think in a weird way, I, I'm really excited to spend more time sport fishing because there's it's a whole different sport than private boating. And like private boating, it's like you you have to fully be the one that's like looking up all the fishing reports and saying like, I don't want to follow all the boats, but I'm trying to find something that's like the crumbs on the side or this or that. Mm-hmm. And then on the sport boat, it's like you're in a weird way you're like competing sometimes against other fishermen like oh like I want to be in the back and I want or I want to be on the front or you know whatever it is and there's sometimes where we're like fishing next to you know more more or less on Catalina some of the like Orange County boats up here and like everybody's mm. sitting there like not catching fish and we're all just like looking around like so when is this gonna change <laughs> <laughs> But uh, there's, like, a joy to, like, fishing in that way that not every day is a promise. You know, not every day are you going to come home with limits of Dorado, even though the day before it was lights out and you're heading home Mm -hmm. by 11 in the morning. It's like, today's different. And they just didn't want to bite and so i i think controlling the crowd in that way is is something you probably have learned really well you know because you do have to deal with it and it's either like you turn off and you just turn the volume down of like well there's nothing i can do like you're just gonna have to wait here like everybody else and see what happens or you just say like it might turn around like we'll figure it out (laughs) (laughs) it's hard to be positive sometimes you know like i don't know if it's a gut instinct or when when you're when you're talking to certain people that come up and say like so when do you think the fish will show up it's like i have no idea how you expect me to answer that (laughs) and then answer it in a way that makes you really happy but also doesn't give you false promise and what's going to happen today Mm -hmm. because if i tell you they might show up later and they don't show up later i don't want to get a finger on my face saying well you said you know but obviously if you're somebody who's saying that you don't fish often i think that is fair to say yeah yep (laughs) yep i will say like i'm trying to learn I'm trying to like if I could uh, figure out people's minds, but there's something in 
fishermen that is like the one more cast mentality you know like they're just addicted to uh the idea that at some point they will catch a fish and i'm Mm -hmm. reading a book called the optimist which is on fly fishing more but it's that basic idea like they truly believe that they will catch a fish you know versus like somebody who just wants to catch a fish but it's not really a fisherman it's mm-hmm. like they kind of have more of that that mentality like where are the fish and you're like i can't control that but uh yeah i think that there's something there for the person especially who's seasoned that just waits their turn you know a, there's a lot of patience and not knowing like maybe it's not today maybe it's not this week but at some point i'm going to catch i'm going to catch that fish <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> at at some point. And, you know, there there are a lot of times that this happens where we may not catch fish for the majority of the day. And it's not until mm-hmm. on our way back or at, you know, the, the last hour that we can be out there that we come across uh, a kelp patty and there is just jugged you know, or we're on our way back and we come across a school, like literally anything can change throughout Mm -hmm. the course of the day. And it truly can be like one kelp, one stop that can change the trajectory and the entire mood for the day. And you feel it like when you're walking around the boat and there aren't a lot of fish on the boat, you feel, you know, all that energy and it, it weighs on you, man, it does. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a boat that, or a day that, you know, we, we go out there and like the month, month and a half of just straight Dorado sleigh that we had this last season, mm-hmm. you know, you could feel everybody's just buzzing. And, and I think that's what people are attracted to when they come out here. Like there's a sense of camaraderie when you and everyone else around you were all catching fish and you see the joy and and Mm -hmm. it makes our job i don't want to say better but it just reaffirms for us like we did a good job today everybody on the boat is happy Mm -hmm. like we're we're getting you know we're we're gonna end today on a on a good note there's nothing that could knock on wood that could happen yeah. <laughs> to change yeah. what's going on <laughs> <laughs> so good well this is a basic question uh about the grande but you guys fish out of mission bay and you spend a lot of time in san diego waters but then you also go down into mexico and the coronados is that correct yeah so um we're out of h&m landing and we are uh, majority we're we're a full day boat, but we do uh, multiple day trips as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, we're a full day boat. So um, depending on the time of year, we'll we usually start off the season at um, Coronado Islands, mm-hmm. and then we'll kind of transition offshore once we see a little bit more meat starting to show up yeah uh being bluefin we usually um we've been seeing bluefin may end of april into may june Mm -hmm. um that first wave kind of hit but we normally start the season at at the islands awesome yeah it's 
I sadly didn't have my passport last year. It had like just expired and then I sent it in and then I missed like all the fishing season. So I was like, I went out of San Diego on a small pack boat, but we stayed that thankfully was like kind of when the fish were further north anyways, but I'm dying to go out on like a trip. One, I mean, the Coronados sound awesome, but also like even further down into the Mexico waters and just see what obviously you hear stories of like all these fish and you know, like it's probably not going to be the time that you go that this is going to happen. But it's like, like you said, you know, relentless yellowfin just everywhere or skipjack or something. And it's like up in uh, orange County, we don't quite have, we have a lot of good fishing, but it's just not the same. It's not the same style in a way. So this next year, I'm going to try really hard to go down there. Yeah. But, Let's uh, go island fishing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So back to simple questions, but or simple questions for me, probably hard answers for you. But what has been one of your favorite fishing stories? Um, we're going to do favorite and then we're going to do like worst fishing stories after this. Okay. Um, okay. So favorite. There, there are a few that stand out, but I think the one favorite memory of mine that I keep going back to, well, it's hard. I have two. I'm going to say two. So the first, the, my first favorite one, um, was the first time I ever stepped on the boat in Alaska as a Mm -hmm. deckhand. I remember leaving Resurrection Bay. That's um, where Seward is. I remember leaving Resurrection Bay and where the sun rises in Seward, it just illuminates um, this beautiful coastline of mountains that just Mm. erupt from the sea. And, And I guess sunrise isn't the best term because it's daylight in the summertime in Alaska, majority of the day. Um, but there's a point in the morning where that sun is just over the waterline as you're coming out and it casts this glow by the mountains and, and seeing that 180 degree view unobstructed mountains coming out from the ocean is the Mm -hmm. most ethereal, ethereal sense of uh, anything that you could see I've ever seen in my, in my life. Right. Um, so I never forget that. Anytime I'm having a bad day, I think back to that, mm. to that moment, right. To kind of ground me a little bit. Yeah. Um, but my second, my second favorite would have to be um, my thunderstorm bluefin tuna story. And we had a trip, um, the not last season, but the season before we were on a day and a half trip. Weather was really crummy. I think I ripped my jeans this day. I think I had backlashed or had one of my reels. I had hooked up to a bluefin and was trying to pass it on to somebody and it was underwrapped. So the line, so much tension is on the line. It just, the the fish just broke off and it mm-hmm. took most of my line. And I was super bummed because I just bought that 
whole setup first time in the water that happened. So I felt like this was the worst day. I felt like the Grinch, you know, like, that's yeah. it. I'm not going, I'm yeah. done. <laughs> I'm not picking up a rod. I suck at fishing. Um, I'm not supposed to be doing this. Um, but later on that night when we were fishing, we were all the way out at uh, Tanner and Cortez banks, you know, hundred miles mm -hmm. offshore. And there was this gnarly thunderstorm. I mean, all, all around the boat, there was thunder and lightning and you could see it shooting down. It looked like it was touching the water and it felt really close, but mm -hmm. it was, you know, so far away, but it, it was the gnarliest thing, you know, and it was raining and all of us were in our, our storm gear and our Grundens just covered head to toe. We only had maybe eight or nine people fishing at mm -hmm. night. Mm -hmm. just dismal dismal conditions and i remember just one more cast right i'm gonna do one last cast out and i'm gonna try and get a fish so i'm out there with my setup and i'm jigging as hard as i can to try and get a bite to make that whole day mm -hmm. and i ended up getting bit and ended up being the only uh bluefin the only fish that we caught that night and it was one of the biggest ones that we caught that whole trip. And I remember handing it off or tried handing it off to someone next to me. I'm like, hey, do you want this fish? It's on. And the guy goes, nope, I'm only going to touch it if I reel it in. I said, okay. So I went to the next person and was like, do you want this fish? It's on like right now. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> and so I passed it off to Julio, comes out on the boat with us and he wound it in and it was just such a awesome experience. All the thunder and the lightning going on mm -hmm. in the background and Julio's there with the fish on. And <laughs> it was so rad, so cool and like so fulfilling. Mm -hmm. um, but I think um, you said the worst, one of the worst ones, worst memories I think is next. Yep, yep. Um, there, there was a day, this is kind of funny, but it, uh, we uh, so what ends up happening on our boat or just boats in general, right? They're the toilets that our marine heads that are on boats are not like the ones you have at home. Mm -hmm. And so, what ends up happening when you put a bunch of toilet paper or things that shouldn't be thrown down the toilet is you end up clogging the tank mm -hmm. in these boats. So, that ended up happening to us one day in really rough seas and the sight of extramate coming down the boat in rough seas is like the worst Just. thing to have happen as a deckhand and as a passenger and so trying to put our you know super pressured saltwater hoses down um down the head to try and clear it out is usually what you do but instead it ended up shooting it back up at us um we ended up flooding part of a not compartment but needless to say there was a lot of stuff going on that shouldn't be around and that's just mm -hmm. the glory of working on a boat sometimes right. you gotta roll yep. up your sleeves and and deal with that nasty business <laughs> well i i think that that's like the interesting thing about boats and like every day being out there is that 
the real life shit that happens in your life now gets down into like a microscope level of being on a boat, you know? And I think about all these people that have done this for centuries and centuries. And it's like, there's something about sport fishing and being on a sport fishing boat that like, I feel like has some sort of reminiscence to you can never tame the ocean. Like we might be able to tame ourselves of like having a house and a heater and electricity, but there's something about being on the ocean that like, it's just raw. And no matter like how, I mean, you could have like a really nice, you know, boat as far as like the U S Navy or something, but like (laughs) there's something about being on a sport fishing boat that you're just like, you're living in a rawness that, I mean, it makes sense having your Alaska background because it's like, if this needs to get done, I can't call anybody to go do it. I have to do it. And there's a claiming of that, I think, that most people aren't used to. You know, most people are kind of like, oh, I need to call somebody to come fix this and I'm not going to be in this house until that smell gets fixed, you know, sort of a thing. But there you're like, nope, it's going to be me. I have to deal with this. And so whether it's actual shit you're dealing with or being a deckhand with the metaphorical shit of like dealing with, you know, anything that could happen on a boat, it's like, you know, you could be dealing with, somebody getting a hook through their arm or getting, you know, uh, all sorts of different stuff happening. And you're like, I have to be the one that deals with this. Like, you know, bloody decks might not just be the fish. It might be somebody else. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And and that's, that's part of our responsibilities as deckhands. That's part of a lot of the responsibility as a captain, like, at the end of the day, yeah, we help you get on fish, but we have to watch out for your safety on the boat. We have to make sure that no one's, you know, acting in a way that would endanger themselves or somebody else. And mm-hmm. and um, we're we're kind of that force that has to step in, whether it's something that happens with a passenger on board. If it's something that happens to the boat, if it's something that happens to the head, something electrical, plumbing, first aid, I mean, there's all these things that we can't, yeah, if something were to happen, we call the Coast Guard, but what we do, especially in cases of emergency, dictate, you know, how how an outcome will happen, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if there's something that happens on the boat where, um, I don't know, like we, we've snapped shafts before. Um, and so it's not as easy as, well, I'm just going to give, you know, I'm just going to call our local mechanic and he's going to be here. Like you said, it's, Mm -hmm. we're the people that have to troubleshoot and have to fix whatever that problem is. Cause there isn't anybody Mm -hmm. out there a lot of the time. And that's kind of daunting for some people. Like my mom the other day was like, so do you see anybody when you're out there? I'm like, well, not all the time. And she's like, you're just out there. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. like we're out there most of the yeah. time. 
So we're like that force of um, something happens where we have to deal with it no matter what it is. Mm-hmm. It was funny. Uh, one of my friends, he goes out fishing um, every year on like big tuna trips. And he's like, you'd be surprised at like how many people get seasick fishing at night because you're just one boat in the middle of nothing, you know? And even though they have the lights and stuff, it's like people who, you know, have been in the Navy and like done all this stuff. It's like, I'm getting sick, you know, (laughs) it's just like fishing at night, fishing in the fog, fishing when it's a bluebird day, when it's flat, we, we, we've seen it all, but it's, it's always, I've always found it so peculiar, you know, like I've, I've never been seasick in my life. Mm-hmm. And when I see people get seasick, you know, I, I genuinely feel so bad, but at the same time, I'm, I don't get it. You know, <laughs> you don't feel it. Yeah. Exactly. I don't I know. feel it. I don't get it. And, and people will say, you know, how are you guys walking around? Like we're, we're at a 45 mm-hmm. degree angle walking through the galley and we just don't, we're not phased by it at all, you know, yep. Mo- most of the time, most of the time. <laughs> I'm like, but, I get um, sympathetic to the people who are sick. Like, I don't, I don't feel, yes, I, am sympathetic. I, uh, <laughs> I actually get seasick, but if somebody's throwing up around me, it makes me want to throw up, but I'm like, I'm not <laughs> sick. I just don't like this, <laughs> but that's it. I, the thing that I love about sport fishing is anybody can do it. Like if you have a fishing license, you can rent all your gear. You can have somebody tie knots for you. Like technically you can do it being brand new to the sport. Like you don't have to pick where you want to go. You just get to be there, you know? And I think that in California, in Southern California, like everybody should at least try it, you know, (laughs) and it's there like waiting for us. And I know that like a part of sport fishing is one of those things that it's like people who go, go a lot. And then there's also people who are like, I can't fish. It's not like, I don't have a boat. And I'm like, it's actually cheaper to go on a sport fishing boat every weekend than it is for you to buy a boat and to fork out you know your boat payment every month it's so it's mm-hmm. like a funny kind of situation that i think people get stuck in of you know it can obviously get really expensive fishing but at the same time it's like very accessible to to anybody you know you could go on like a half day trip or go on like the twilight trips and be like, we caught a bunch of bass tonight and all we did. And it's a Friday night. We got to hang out with all of our friends <laughs> and we caught fish doing it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you said, any anybody can fish, right? Whether you are a first timer or you're trying something new, you've already, you know, I've always fished your whole life. There's always something new to learn. Mm-hmm. But we we see a lot of people that come out and sometimes aren't as excited to be there, at, you know, as much as the people that they're with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for that's kind of part of 
our job too as deckhands and as a crew overall is showing you like if if somebody isn't comfortable doing um a certain bait presentation or doesn't know how to do their knots properly or you know whatever mm-hmm. that's that's what we're here for we we genuinely want everybody that comes out on our boats to have that experience and and maybe not fall in love with it and enjoy it as much as we do you know to be out on the water all the time but at least do it have a good time doing it and have that sense of fulfillment of like hey i did something new today i caught a fish today Mm -hmm. like that's cool you know yep yep that's awesome yeah i there's a lot of people who don't like the ocean at all and it only causes pure fear for them and then you know some people who don't like touching fish at all you know but for the general public it's like if you want if you want adventure like I actually think going out on these boats is some of the best adventure we can have in California you know especially in Southern California um but I I love being able to talk to you as a deckhand because it's like you get to see so many people coming in from all ranges, like people who've been doing it for 50 years to Mm -hmm. the person who's it's their first time. And they're like, you know, maybe they love fishing, but they're shy about the idea that this is their like first time. And then it's like, I don't know the right knots. I've only, you know, I moved from Nebraska and all we do is bass fish. I don't know like how to tie it. You know, maybe if you fished your whole life, you pick up on knots a lot faster. But, you know, just that general feeling of like people are normally scared to try something for the first time. And it's like, Mm -hmm. nope, like we're here to help you. Yeah. And and that's the thing. Like we're we're here to help you. I mean, partially because we genuinely care. And, you know, of course we want, you know, the more fish we have on the boat, that means I get to go home with, with a paycheck, right? Mm -hmm. I go home with a paycheck regardless, but this is, this is how we make our living. So on -hmm. top of having fish in the boat from a business standpoint, like we, we would want people to enjoy themselves so much so that they want to come back or bring their friends, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So there, there's that side of it but for us like we care you know and if Mm -hmm. if you want to learn we're here to teach you if you don't want to learn that's cool too (laughs) but if if you want to be generally if you want to be successful you talk to your crew and you find out what can I do what what am I doing wrong you know little things like that you talk to your crew Mm -hmm. we're here to help I like that you gently corrected me to say, like, we're not jaded, you know, like, (laughs) and I think that that's like some, but that's something that needs to be like communicated, not to say like you guys aren't communicating it because like I said, even I think I'm learning that that's not true, but like so many people think like, why wouldn't you be jaded? You know, like you're dealing with long days early mornings smelly fish like all this stuff and you're like i 
genuinely care about this. And I mean, at the end of the day, the whole joke of fishing is like, if you really wanted to go get tuna, like just go buy it, you know, or you could not to say like, go do that. But it's like, we're, (laughs) we're doing this because it's fun. Like we're doing this because it like brings you life in a different way that's like hard to communicate it if you weren't here you know Mm -hmm. and so it's like you're you're trying to make people's days not obviously you can't do that all the time but it's like we want you to walk away from this better than you came in to some you know to some degree whether that's Mm -hmm. you know pure entertainment or like you know some sort of idea of like hey like you learned a lot about patience today <laughs> and hopefully yes. <laughs> the next time you come fishing, you know, you'll be ready for the ups and downs, you know, a little bit yeah. better. But I, I had a podcast a couple months ago about the psychology of fishing <laughs> and how like the things you learn fishing can apply to real life too. And it's like totally. all mm-hmm. these ups and downs and like the emotional experience, it's like, I do think that 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 pays out later. You know, um, it's it would be weird if like you're a really patient fisherman and then go into real life and you're all like frustrated at things not working out the way you want. Yeah. Them to. <laughs> um, but uh, moving on a little bit, so you and helping people you got some sort of i i don't know how to say this like special gig or like job or something but you do the weekly roundups for bd outdoors can you explain to me a little bit of how that came about and where that came from yeah um i i had just finished my first season working on the grande and um the guys over at bloody decks or bd outdoors they had messaged me and they said hey um we basically are asking you if you want to help in our social media in some capacity and when i read it i thought oh i'm gonna run their instagram like that's cool um (laughs) but (laughs) um but i i never thought like I never thought I was going to be doing these weekly or what came to be these weekly videos. Um, yeah. I'm normally a a pretty introverted person generally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when they said, you know, we want you to do these videos and start off by doing, um, you know, basically what's going on in the sport boat scene and mm-hmm. fish counts and things like that. I, I, said sure like i i love that opportunity and um decided to give it a go and it eventually evolved into me seeing what was happening during the season and just wanting to tell people like this is what's working right now yeah like this is what you should be doing not all this other stuff you're doing Mm -hmm. this is what you should be doing because it's working and then the following week well that's that stuff is great but it's not working anymore this is what's working right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so it kind of turned into these uh sport boat uh fishing reports 
meshed in with um, different gear that I have or what I see is working, different tackle that's working a lot better than others. And hopefully people will take that and apply it the next time they're on our boat, on another boat, someone else's boat, mm -hmm. whatever. But um, it's just trying to be helpful and showing people what's happening kind of week by week, um, what what's happening. Yeah. out there and and what i what we think is working what we see working and educating people on um you know just what we see so that's what it is now and um this time of year um with christmas and new years and the holidays and everything i haven't been doing it every week like i have been this whole year mm -hmm. but um i will be starting the videos up again um if not weekly i'm going to be doing them bi-weekly so um if you guys follow them or see me on there you should uh and or or just generally interested in in fishing in general it doesn't have to do just with socal um they have all sorts of forums and gear reports yeah. and things like that on their website too but that's where you'll see me for the next couple months before the season starts picking up and i start doing them every week bd outdoors is like such an incredible forum you know at the end of the day but just learning any anything like when was it two years ago two years ago my brother and I were uh moving from just spear fishing to getting into rod and reel fishing and like we had always wanted to rod and reel fish but it's a very daunting thing to take on it's it's hard to ask the right questions whether it's on you there's like tackle shops and you go in and you're like okay this is what i want or this is what i'm looking for and i found like even like the questions themselves were confusing to people and i didn't know i was just trying to more or less ask like how do i get started mm. but it's like i want to get like a rod that can cast a jig but also i saw somebody catch a tuna with it but like i don't know how to do the and like i can see like now knowing a little bit more it's like you can see like the people at the tackle shop go like huh. like they can't they can't <laughs> hit with so much information <laughs> yeah <laughs> you're basically asking them more or less like how do I catch anything from a calico to a tuna, but summarize it in a cheap option? Mm -hmm. And they're like, you you can't do that, you, you know, like, and, and then you get into what your videos are so good about is answering what week by week option that might be, because one week it might be that like, oh, this guy's you know, catching them on, they caught a tuna on a surface iron and you need to have like 80 pound or a hundred pound fluoro. But it's like, most of the time it's not that it's like, you know, we found that 20 pound fluoro is working on these yellow tail, but if you have 25 pound fluoro, it's not working or circle hooks or J hooks or this or that. And so it's like, well, what are the conditions that day? Like if you have a jig and your knife jigging but the current's really up you're going to be using a different jig than like 
you know, your simple butterfly flat fall, you know, or whatever that is. And so I could, I now know a little bit more, but it's, it's just, I find that BD outdoors, you'll find, you can basically type in any question and somebody will at least have like the rod you're looking at and like a simple review of it or a reel that you're looking at and be able to explain like what it's good for and what it's bad for. And you're like, okay, like now I know like a little bit more of what's going on, but then you include all of the videos that are on top of that, of, you know, certain, anything from like certain lures and lure presentations to like, Ollie has all of his like basic bluefin tuna setups, you know, and you can watch, a 10 minute video just to say like, Oh, okay. So this is like the very basics of what I need to get to go on these trips. Um, so I think BD outdoors, I mean, it, it's just such a huge resource for anybody who's looking into getting into fishing, especially down here. I wish that they, I mean, I'm sure that they do have hunting forums like that too, but it's like, there's so much knowledge on there that you can increase your fishing expertise, you know, exponentially on that versus just, I think on YouTube, people get lost in what's trending, but maybe not what's, what works like really well, you know, it's the internet fisherman not the (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i find myself like if there's certain things that i want to find out you know or or research i find myself going to youtube you know initially and i'll see you know what's trending first but then eventually i get to the point where i'm going down you know the youtube rabbit hole and i'm finding all this stuff and then i get sidetracked and Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, like what I initially wanted to find out just got broken up into a million pieces. And now I'm looking at one little niche thing that has no say in what I'm trying to find. So mm-hmm. I I do think like, and that's what I try to, to do with my videos is just black and white, couple minutes of your time, like, this is what I recommend, or this is what we're seeing. And I try not to talk for too long, because mm-hmm. I hate watching videos where I'm just listening to somebody's backstory for like 30 minutes. Like, so for me, like, I I would rather just say this is what's working. This is what I recommend. This is what mm-hmm. you should bring. And that's it. Call it a day. And you're set. You're golden. Yeah. Um, as best as I can. Um, and I, and BD outdoors in general, like when you look at their page, they just have, it's such a wealth of information, what they have. And especially for you or anybody who's just looking to get started or get into it, they just have everything that Mm -hmm. you would need to, to find out. And it's put very plainly and short and to the point, short and sweet. Um, but they do a really good job with, you know, putting different sections of videos together, depending on what you're looking for. You have everything grouped all together right there. Yeah, <laughs> yep. it's awesome. Well, I wanted to mention that before, uh, or at least like during the podcast. So if people are interested in it, 
I like the connection that BD Outdoors is really looking to help the sport fishing community and to say like, I mean, you go through everything of like in a very succinct manner, but it's like, you know, this is the fish counts. These are what to expect on, you know, the landings and everything. And it's like a pretty unbiased thing to not say like, Oh, come on the grande because you'll catch more fish than, you know, (laughs) the San Diego or the Royal Polaris or whatever, but it's like in general, this is how fishing is going and be expecting this when you hop onto any of these boats. Like, I think if, if somebody was smart, they would like go back in time or go back on Instagram and watch those as the season's coming and being like kind of expecting what's, going to come next you know even even though like it is everything changes very rapidly and yeah you know but you can learn so much about what to get ready for you know in the off season by watching those videos and being like okay like if i do want to target dorado they showed up last year you know august 1st maybe i want to start booking trips in August so that I can target the Dorado. But if I want to target, you know, the Yellowtail, they showed up at this time and you can see, like you can cut, obviously maybe everything will be different this next year. Um, and that's always a risk, but mm-hmm. it's like, I think there's certain resources and how to use them well that like will p- benefit you if you do the research you know and right yeah i mean and and that goes with anything too and it's not applicable just to fishing but anything else right Mm -hmm. so any new hobby any anything new that you want to try and learn that's kind of the beauty with youtube and the internet i sound kind of outdated in saying that i realize that but like the other day I was trying to learn how to set up my fish tanks and how Mm -hmm. to, you know, find out the dosage for all the fertilizers, which I didn't know was a thing. Then now it's a thing, (laughs) but you know, I'm just able to look up things at my fingertips and can figure out things that I need to do that I would not have known otherwise. Mm -hmm. So same with fishing, like any, anything you want to find out, it's out there. It truly is out there. But I will say some people tend to have more bias than others. And I try to be unbiased as best I can. It's entirely based off of what I'm seeing every day on the water. I work almost every day that Mm -hmm. this boat goes out. I might have a day off every couple of weeks, but for all of us, we're out on the water every day. Right. And we, what my videos are is just what I see happening and you could take what I talk about and maybe you go on, um, you know, a longer range boat that does two week, um, two week trips and they might do things a little differently and that's totally fine. You know, every boat, every captain is going to have a different way of how they learned how to do things. And I think it's one thing to, to see something online and think that's it. Mm-hmm. You know, but in reality, there are so many different ways to go about 
fishing and in general that I think in general people should just be really open-minded to whether they go on you know multiple boats at a time or if they're just Mm -hmm. learning it at at home getting ready for their trip but I think it's important to be Mm open-minded um kind of take everything all in and once you go out on the water with the knowledge that you have talk like I mentioned before talk to your deckhands and see yeah um you know what's what's going on what's happening what's working what isn't working yeah I think in going all the way I feel like we've been circling this idea of like you can't control the ocean but there's so many days that it's like you think you're going on a rock fishing trip and then the tuna show up or you think you're going on a tuna trip and all you catch is rockfish, and you're like, Oh man, like, but that's why, you know, just giving a shout out to any rod and reel company out there. But that's why you have multiple rods when you go out on these trips is because you could think you're going to go catch Dorado and then instead you have bluefin foaming instead and you're like all right well do i have everything like rigged up and ready to go at a moment's notice to be that person who gets a bait in the water right when it's needed or am i going to be the person that's like ah like i need to retie everything and like get going and then you're too late you know and that stuff happens but it's just one of one of those things like you have to be ready at any moment for something to happen on the ocean. And that's also an, an an exciting part. And I think that there's like a pure joy of like being like, I'm happy just to catch a fish out there. And if like I was catching Barracuda on a surface iron this summer and I was having so much fun with it. And I think everybody on the boat was like, we don't want to catch Barracuda. And I'm like, this is awesome. <laughs> like, I'll take this all, your, all your day long. Your are like, oh, Barracuda. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's one of those like fun, fun things just to like be ready for anything. And like, you know, hopefully you're setting your expectations and in some reality but um so apart from deckhand stuff um do you i don't know how to say this but i i want to it's a it's a leading question but do you have anything on the near horizon that you're working towards with this fishing um with the sport fishing industry yeah, that's a valid, valid question. Um, so I recently took my 100-ton captain's course. It's a two-week course. Um, I did that the beginning of December, and I passed. So I have the course completed. Now I just have to get um, – there, there's a lot of paperwork and, and checks involved in getting that red booklet, your, your actual captain's license. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's next on the radar for me. Like I said, I passed the class, but I'm just waiting to send in all this paperwork through the Coast Guard and everything. Mm-hmm. So captain's license is in, uh, is in the works. And um, as far as what comes next after that, I'm not, I'm not – too sure you know i'm i 
am open to any and all opportunity that comes my way, but um, the best way to do it is to hang out and, and still learn. I by no means know everything there is to know about boats and engine room and, and things like that. So there, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stuff for me that I know I have to improve my knowledge on. Um, so I'm still wanting to learn and, and wanting to experience another season or two or three. So that's where I'll probably be the next couple of years. <laughs> um, but eventually I, I would love to have a boat, either my own boat or someone else's boat and, um, mm -hmm. and be the captain. That's, that's the end all be all one day. <laughs> Is it crazy to think that six years ago that you had no idea that you would be fishing on boats every day. Like I I'm assuming that it's like when you're in college, it could have been longer sooner, but you know, 10 years ago, it's like Marine biologists. This is what I wanted to do. And now you're like, I'm going to be a captain on a boat. Like that shift is very dramatic. <laughs> It, it is, um, you know, there were, there were a couple things that I wanted to accomplish in my life, right? It mm -hmm. was get a marine, uh, a marine biology degree. And I got that. And then once I started being around the water and being on boats more, it was, I'm going to get my captain's license. I'm mm -hmm. going to do it. Mm -hmm. And now I did one of those things. And now I'm on my way to doing that second thing that I set out to do. And for me, absolutely, I think back to it all the time. Like I never, I never thought I would be in this position. I didn't even think it was possible for me to be in, in this position. And mm -hmm. coming from somebody whose entire schooling was built on conservation and saving our fish and our oceans and now i kill them on a daily basis it's very <laughs> mm -hmm. took a 180 took yeah. a bit of a, yeah. a 180 but, we'll have um... to talk about that at some point of how to how to hold both you know uh it i mean for me like i i grew up as an athlete i played soccer my whole life i was gonna go to school for it decided not to so mm -hmm. for me like it, it was always trying to do the next step like okay yeah. i accomplished something like what's the next thing i can do and then i accomplished it what's the next thing i can do so for me i'm in a constant state of pushing myself out of my comfort zone and learning something new that I may not have any knowledge about, but trying to be really good at that thing. Um, so for me, I think that's kind of in part what led me in this direction, but it's a culmination of that mixed in with how much I love being out mm. on the water and, and being around fish in general and, and it's not just fishing right and bringing them up on the boat it's mm -hmm. kind of the chase that goes along with it you know to be able to find fish you need to be able to read your electronics you need to be able to read what the ocean is doing what the birds are doing mm -hmm. what the surface of the water might be doing all those things to me 
is it's kind of like that when I've never been hunting before, but it seems like it's hunting out on the water, mm-hmm. right? I think that's yeah. fair to say you're, you're in this environment that we're not used to being in, but we're using our senses and our eyes and we're reading what we see and we're putting all these pieces together to try and, and locate these animals. So yep. it's kind of primal in, in, mm-hmm. a, in a certain aspect to that, but I think that's part of the reason why I love it so much. It's everything leading up to that moment mm-hmm. where you bring fish in. Yeah, I I think that in every outdoorsman, there is some scientist deep down in a way like I at least I'm very like pragmatic when I approach these things. And I'm like, the wind's doing this, the temperature's doing that, the migration's happening here. And you add all those things together and then you make your prediction of saying like I think we should go here you know some people are just like we're going to this place because we go to this place every time and that's the way it's going to happen and if you don't catch fish you're like well we'll be back again next week (laughs) but for the most part like I approach you know duck hunting or turkeys not so much but there there's like anything that migrates there's like weather involved and how that changes what you're going to do. If if it's a really calm day, things are going to be different than if it's really windy. If it's really cold, it's going to be different. Than, and so you take that as far as hunting goes, and it's all like above ground, you know, and then you apply that to the ocean and you get like the currents and the water temp and the all sorts of different things happening and i mean it it's still mind-blowing to me how many dorado showed up this year you know and it then was mind-blowing I, to us it was <laughs> gnarly <laughs> and then you're like thinking like will this happen again like can we get ready for it is there like a way to not like even like thinking like if we overfish this once, will it not happen again? Or if we, you know, slow down a little bit, will it just keep going, you know? And so there's all these, like, questions that I think, like, are very involved. Because a good fisherman would be like, well, like, if I caught 10 Dorado every day for the next week, like, I'm not even going to eat those, you know? But if I caught three today... And then three again at the end of the month. But then this happened every year. Like maybe I should do that. You know, maybe that's the way approaching this basic idea of like not overfishing something, but keeping in that sense of like catch what you eat and then let everything else go. You know, obviously like limits is always exciting. It's like, I laugh because in duck hunting, it's all about like how many ducks did you actually get? And it's like a lot of people are like, well, I got my limit. And I'm like, yeah, but half those ducks aren't ducks that people want, you know, Mm -hmm. or or are planning to eat. So I'd rather have one duck that I really was proud of than like a bunch of ducks that like 
I really don't care about, you know? And so it's thinking about things a little bit differently, but in general, I've always been, I always go back to being like, I wish I studied more about the weather because in my head, if I knew more about the weather, I'd be better at these things than, (laughs) you know, I'd be able to predict like water temperatures and current lines and chlorophyll who knows and <laughs> be like that's where but the fish what, are gonna be <laughs> what's crazy for me is that you know I went to school for marine biology right but when when you work out on the water every day it it's completely different right mm-hmm. so my the experience that you gain on site at any job to me is far surpasses the knowledge that you get reading it out of a book yeah. You know, we were the and I'm not belittling my schooling in any way. Um but you know, the things that I have been taught on the boat, I didn't learn in school. Mm-hmm. A lot of the things that I learned in school, you know, taxonomy and things like that, like it's great to have that knowledge, but at the end of the day, I need to learn mechanics. I need to learn basic plumbing. I need to learn first aid. I need to learn how to read these electronics. And that's something that I wasn't taught in school. These are all things that mm-hmm. are either self-taught or um, are uh, taught to me by people above me. Mm-hmm. So for me, I feel like my schooling was awesome. And I had that foundation of, of learning how to learn. But the actual application mm-hmm. of things didn't come until I started working on boats and was in an environment where I needed to make split second decisions or was learning how to handle mm-hmm. a situation from my captain or the deckhands that are above me. And for that, I'm super grateful, you know, yeah. but it, yeah. always in a state of learning, being on a boat. That's what it is. Always learning. I can't remember where it is, but... <sighs> I heard it somewhere and I think it was the meat eater podcast, but it's like the leading, uh, the leading academia doctor, you know, of marine biology for bluefin tuna lives in like Wisconsin or something. And it's like, they've never been on a boat looking at bluefin. And and I'm sure that they have, but like the basic idea was like these this person does not live with the fish every day, Mm -hmm. which you would think like a marine biologist was uh, there every day seeing it and like almost like counting fish of like, okay, this is how many bluefin we have. This is how many like we're seeing from this year to last year. And it's like they are, but they're looking at that on a computer screen and even like the readings of how you're counting fish and where you're counting fish. If you're talking to like the people who are actually fishing be like, yeah, well maybe the reasons why your numbers are low is because that year the bait was in a different place, you know, and everybody knows that who's fishing, but the person who's doing the actual like documentation of it isn't there to see it. And I'm, and I'm not discrediting academia in any way, but it was just a funny contrast to point out of there's what you can learn in a book and what you can see for yourself and deciding, I think like 
learning how to learn is probably the most essential tool anybody can ever know. But also being open-minded to say, like, maybe what I learned at one point is different from what I think now and all sorts of different stuff. But it's like, it's just crazy. Like I, there's a part of me that's very jealous of what you get to see every day. I feel like I would have a notebook and I would just be like writing constantly. <laughs> like, okay, this is I what do. I, saw. I do then... <laughs> have a notebook. <laughs> and like, if I'm ever in this situation again, this is where I'm going because at 2 PM this happened and, I don't know. It's fascinating. <laughs> I, I'm i laughing because I do have a notebook. I'll like take notes either on my phone and I'll put it back, you know, on the piece of paper at the end of the day, but I carry something mm-hmm. with me and I make little notes. And, and now after a couple of years, I have to, you know, transpose everything on my phone onto the notebook. But I, at some point, wanted to put something together where I look at all the notes I took mm-hmm. and I have like water temperature. I have what the wind was doing. I have significant things that happened that day. At some point in my life, in like 10 years, I want to look back and try to see like the familiarity between two points or maybe something was happening these two years, but wasn't present in the other. And that's I don't know. That's how my brain is. Like I'm always, I'm always curious as to um, like similarities. Like why, Mm -hmm. why are things happening? Is something the same here that wasn't similar, you know, two years ago, but Mm -hmm. now it is and what conditions cause that and, and things like that. But yeah, having, having a journal, the best thing you could do. If, yeah, if that's up your alley. <laughs> I well, so I used to journal a lot about everything, and it was just like this, like free flow, like get everything out on the paper on the paper. Um, and now I've noticed, like, even simple documentation goes so far when you look at it three years removed, and you're like, that happened, and being able to see what you wrote like brings back a lot of knowledge that you I don't know if it's visual or I don't know if like somehow like your hand remembers writing it therefore like it brings back all that knowledge but like you could say something like we are fishing here and at 11 p.m or at 11 a.m the wind changed and then we went there and that's where all the fish were and then somehow you're you'll be back there and be like i've been here before and then you're like start connecting like and i think it just at least adds to the game of it all you know it it at Mm -hmm. least gives you a foundation to stand on and say like okay like and and who knows it's like always one of those things like maybe if you stayed there the same thing would have happened but Mm. (laughs) you're like at least there's that too (laughs) at least I'm trying you know (laughs) so that's awesome yeah I will have to talk about that at some point of just like basic science to fishing every day and how like being a marine biologist 
background has so much to say about what you're doing. But then I would also think like the knowledge that you have now is like, it's just firsthand. It's like what, what you get to see every day. And after a lifetime of that, you're like, I could write any textbook you want on on bluefin tuna and it's probably going to be pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Cause there aren't many books on bluefin in that respect now. (laughs) They like the purple jig on April 25th. No. (laughs) Hint. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, that's what every fisherman wants is like, okay, what day is the Katy Perry going to be bit <laughs> or the bright orange or, you know, this or that, but. <laughs> oh, the color conversation. What, what, what jig should I use? What color? Yeah. I don't know. I, I think color does and does not make a difference. Mm-hmm. It depends on the fish. And and I think I might segue into something and go in down a rabbit hole, but uh, go for it. When I think when you're fishing for bluefin and they're 400 feet down and you're fishing at night, there's no light down mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. You know there there's no light. And I think bluefin, being a predatory fish, they don't have good eyesight at night. And when we see them on sonar, they're all clumped in this tight tight ball so i think if you throw down anything with weight that's just zipping past their face that lateral line is going to pick it up and they're going to eat it hands yeah. down yeah every every single time if, if they're in the mood to i eat. think it's still a myth that it even glow like those jigs glow that long like if you think of a bluefin tuna being 400 feet and you and you have a 400 400 gram jig like it still takes a couple seconds. I don't think that they're looking at like the so much of the the glowing aspect of those jigs, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I've seen. I've seen. I feel like I've seen it all and have yet to see everything. Right. Yeah. Like yeah. I've seen those jigs glow and get bit. I've seen them glow and not get bit. I've seen certain colors get bit on some days, but others don't it it's bluefin fishing i will say is is like the only type of fishing that's just an absolute enigma because Mm -hmm. just when you think you have everything calibrated it it all goes out the window whatever you're working may not or whatever you're using may not even work that day you know and something silly might end up working a lot better it's bluefin is just they're bluefin and we we'll say that all the time well it's just bluefin being bluefin they're on their own agenda they're on their own schedule it's so hard yep. to predict with them <laughs> <laughs> it really is but yeah so sorry you're you're talking about color and i feel like i took you out of your rabbit hole but where were you going with all that oh it just color the whole conversation yeah. with jigs and colors and what to use and the Katy Perry and things like that. But I, I've had, I've had success on Katy Perry. I will say yeah, on the surface, Katy Perry would be a a good choice. I've, 
I've just always like I've heard this joke a couple times, but it's like if you go on a sport boat and one person catches a yellow tail on a mint jig, then everybody catches up on the mint jig because it's like, well, the jig of the jig of the day was the one color everybody started using versus like, I don't know, like if you if you think that one swims good and it's, you know, rusty and has you know basic silver in it it's still gonna get bit you know it's just like more or less believing in the jig than it is like oh if i don't have the kicker 25 light in this color i will not get bit you know and but i mean i have a ton of respect for the guys at kicker because they make fishing look just fun i I, like they keep fishing in that sense cool that like so many other brands are trying to do you know it's like but somehow they can convince you like if i don't have that one color jig i will not get bit (laughs) (laughs) yeah i've had my my one surface iron jig that was given to me um was i think initially it's like the best surface iron jig i have by far Mm -hmm. it swims the best it kicks out the best it's the best jig and it's caught countless surface iron fish on but at first when i first got the jig it was you know white with the mint on the side Mm -hmm. and now it's just there's no color on it it's just straight metal yeah the thing still swims and it still gets bit (laughs) yeah Yep. So is it color or is it the presentation? Is it how? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to. It's just hard. Fishing's hard. You know, it's not. It's not easy all the time. No, no. It's yeah. It's, but that's what keeps us coming back. So it, if it wasn't if, if every day you went out, I swear, if you went out every day and caught limits, you you wouldn't do it you do it like once or twice and then you'd be like, that's it. I yeah. Can, there'd be can... no fun. The fun would be taken out. Exactly. Okay. So this is the last part that I want to talk about with you and then we'll wrap up. But going back to that moment where you were on the boat in Alaska for the first time and you saw that sunrise, I feel like one, the one big reason why I wanted to talk with you is this pursuit of life, you know, and I mentioned this before we started recording, but like living this kind of unorthodox picture of going out on a boat every day, weeks at a time is not for the faint of heart. Like most people will not ever pull the plug from their eight to five job, their, you know, I have college debt. I have all this. Like I, I can see the life I want to live and then I am not going to do it. And it's like, you saw this moment. I am assuming you saw this sunrise and you said, my life will never be the same. Like I, that there's like a certain pursuit of life that like you made a choice that is very hard to make, but it sounds like you made it very, very clearly 
I guess. But can you explain kind of that thought process for yourself of if you're scared when you like decided to be a deckhand, if you felt like maybe I shouldn't do this, like I just finished school, anything like that, like what was going through your head as you've made this transition into living in the sport fishing life? Well, I, at first, you know, I, I was scared. This is an entirely new set of code that I had to learn. And I had no idea what I was getting myself into. <laughs> I just thought I'm going to be on the water every day. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, it, I'm not going to say it was easy because it wasn't. It wasn't easy working, and it isn't easy working 16, 18 hour days. You're working your ass off and you're going home for four hours only to do it all over again. Mm-hmm. It's it's not easy. No way. But for me, I you know, you have you have this one life and to live with regret is not in my life intention at all. Mm-hmm. And if I was going to do anything in my life, I wanted it to be something that makes me the happiest or makes me really happy. So there are steep learning curves that are involved in a job like this, but you kind of, at least for me, I, I had to go back to, if I really want to do this, I have to give it 500 percent i can't i can't say oh well i'm gonna try and do it and then quit like i'm not i'm not a quitter in any sense but Mm -hmm. if i'm gonna do it i'm i'm gonna excel at it and i'm gonna learn as fast as i can and knowing how happy it makes me just keeps that fire burning for me and and it's something that i when I when I was on that boat ride, it it like wafted over my whole body. It was like I'm supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to be doing something. I may not know what yet. Maybe that plan for me hasn't revealed itself, but I'm gonna work my ass off. Yeah, and I'm gonna see where it see where it gets me. I think what's so interesting to me also about this type of lifestyle is it reminds me of somebody who is like someday I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to start at the bottom of a restaurant and work my way up with this idea of like, this will be the hardest, like most time committing thing I will ever do. Like I'm saying goodbye to my friends. I'm saying goodbye to this idea of like having weekends and holidays and all that stuff so that one day I'll be a chef and the head of my own restaurant. Like it actually doesn't make that much sense. And then somebody goes after their dream and does it, you know, that amount of purpose is so addicting to the people around them because it isn't, what most people 
do. Like most people just decide like that life is sounds really cool, but I just don't think I can give up all these comforts around me, you know, like, and as I kind of said, like going into the new year, this idea of like, and I'm not saying for everybody to like get up and quit their jobs and like go off and like become deckhands or whatever, but maybe yeah, don't, like, don't do that. <laughs> yeah. But maybe like there's one thing in somebody's life that they've been putting off. And it's this dream that says like, I really felt like myself when I did this. And for me, like in a weird way, like podcasting was that dream last year of saying like, I feel like myself when I, I've had this dream of podcasting for like four or five years and I just like kept putting it off, you know, and then I started doing this and obviously it's not big or it's not really like, it's hard. It's a lot of extra work. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of like figuring out yourself and how to become better yourself so that other, you know, you're constantly working on stuff that most people would be like, why not just take it easy? <laughs> and you're like, no, I have to do this. And so it's kind of, to me, it's just encouraging to see you go after this life so richly. And, and I like what you said about that idea of regret of just being like, would you regret it more by not trying than like trying it and even failing and being like, I mean, let's say you deckhand for 10 years total. That's 10 years of stories and people you've met and like fish you've caught that you probably would have never, ever done if you didn't say yes to all of this. And, you know, it could even be 10 years later that you're like working down in Mexico after and going after giant yellowfin tuna or something. And you're like looking back thinking, how the heck did I ever get here? <laughs> and that, that could be your life, you know? And so I just, like I said, I, I, for those people listening who are on the fence, you know, I feel like people have a lot to learn from you and your perspective and your hard work to say, like, this is my dream. It's not what I deserve, but I'm going to earn it and I won't stop until I get there. I do you know off the top of your hand? off the top of your head, like, are there other female captains, especially in the San Diego area, but like in the, in the Southern California? There are not many sport boat captains. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think I, I am maybe one of, I can think of less than five mm -hmm. off the top of my head. There might, there might be more, Yeah, but especially here in, in SoCal, I'm, I'm one of few. There, there's not many, and um, I don't know, you know, other women's schedules at work 
on the boats, but mm-hmm. um, I'm I'm definitely up there with with the ones that work the majority of the year. Yeah, but the, yeah, there's there's not not very many women in this field. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I can't. I really hope that I get to go on the Grande this next year. So I'm gonna. I'll be hitting you up in a couple months. And yes, say, let like, me know. Yeah. Please. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds perfect. Well, Tony, I'm, like I said, so impressed with you. And I love, and your videos are so helpful with the weekly roundup Thank stuff. Thank you. Um, and I just wish you the best going into this next season. But hopefully you can catch up on a little bit of sleep and do some fun stuff. This is my hibernation time of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. Perfect. Well, um, yeah, thank you for being on the podcast and uh, thanks for talking with me. Yeah. Thank you, Matt, for having me. Hopefully we'll get a chance to do this again after after next season. Give you an update. Perfect. That sounds good to me. (laughs) Awesome. Bye.